The following is a presentation of Morning Drive Media. Coming to you live on tape from sexy, steamy Studio City, California, it's the Knapsack Files, where we'll get into everything that involves love, life, the universe, and all that other stuff that Douglas Adams talked about. I'm your host, not Ken Knapsack. My name is actually Mark Ellis. You may know me from such programs as Schmoes No and the Schmoes No Movies Network, and I am here as a special guest host. Because our guest today is the one, the only, the namesake of the Knapsack Files, Mr. Ken Knapsack. How are you, Ken? Oh, man, this is great. I love this. You proposed this a while ago. You uh-huh. said, I want the chance to grill the hell out of you. I figured there's going to be a lot of people signing mm-hmm. up for the job, and I just figured I'd yeah. throw my hat in the ring. Yeah. Because I've always seen you as a very interesting person. You're not just a host. You're not just like a Charlie Rose where it's like, I don't know what that guy does for the rest of his day. And I don't really care. You have a very interesting life and a very big life. And yeah. it's been a very uh, – it, it, it involves a lot of different endeavors, a lot of pursuits. Yeah, a lot of failures. Hopes, dreams, I was going to say. And along with those, does come failures. I mean, I yeah. look at it, Ken Knapsack, and I see your life is basically right now divided into, into a quadrant, if you will. Okay. So. You have like your... one of those Simon Says games. <laughs> exactly. You just keep hitting different buttons until it all gets too just fast. Keep hitting yellow, no matter what flashes. That's right. And then if it just gets too intense, just have yeah. a, another shot of whiskey and yeah. watch some wrestling and call it a night. If you I, weren't here, that's what we'd be doing. I, I, it was on the TV. If, for all of you guys wondering what goes on behind the scenes of the Knapsack Files, I come in, and yes, there is Simpsons memorabilia on the walls, and yes, there was wrestling on TV. And I was offered a scotch whiskey or a beer, and I declined because I want to do a good job here, Kenny. I appreciate it. Uh, well, I mean, wrestling is one of the things that I was thinking about, though, on the way over here when I was yeah. prepping for this interview. Oh, I love that. Is you have wrestling. You have your involvement in the world of wrestling, mm-hmm. and then you have your career as a radio man. Yeah. You have a career in live entertainment stand-up comedy Mm -hmm. improv sketch and then you have the pit boss mall security guard aspect of you yeah the day job and then the overall arching thing is what you've become on the schmoes no movie show the pit boss ken knapsack where you get to employ a little bit of each one of those different parts of your life really when you look at it yeah into one magnificent pizza pie yeah. So I, I want to know where did yeah. where did young Kenny develop these skills, these desires, these goals? Mm-hmm. And I guess you start with that by saying, Kenny, how have you still not seen Gremlins? Well, I <laughs> uh, that so you want the fans to hate me up top. <laughs> still, the people got to know. I still get tweets about Gremlins, Top Gun, and now The Godfather. Uh, my episode with Alicia Malone a couple episodes ago here in the Knapsack Files revealed a lot of movies I haven't seen that some people who aren't necessarily day to day core schmo fans yeah. who are actual friends of mine. Uh, I got texts like, "Really? You haven't seen that one? You haven't seen?" You know this or that. I'm like, oh, you know, I'm working on it. Like the layers of an onion, you just keep peeling, and it just makes everybody like, weep like more I, and more. Like I said before, like I was raised in uh, in uh, a small town, Arroyo Grande, California, Pismo Beach, uh, San Luis Obispo area, San Luis Obispo County. Born in the city of Orange down here, okay, uh, but moved up there when I was seven. So uh, very, a very uh, conservative Christian home, and some very uh, solid. Uh, if not occasionally overprotective parents, at least definitely my mother. And that led to a lot of filtering to what I could watch. Now, that I have a lot of things I watched in the 80s, especially <laughs> cartoon-wise. Yeah. But I, I was 
And if you were if you grew up in a Christian church during the eighties, a lot of people I've I've met them who were like, Oh, I went through that too. There was a point where like all my toys were confiscated by a guy from the church. Uh, uh my, by a guy my, from the church? Came by the house and was like, Ask my mom or dad, I don't know how it went down, but like asked uh um if he could like research my He Man's. Oh, and so all my He-Mans were taken, and they had little comic books that came Did he with keep them for himself? No, I mean, he, you're talking I about was, a really conservative Christian <laughs> background. Maybe he's playing with He-Man. He studied them, and and you know I don't know what that entailed, just a, a, a grown man. He was probably in his 20s at the time. my finger along He-Man's packs. <laughs> his packs look... <laughs> Merman looks also. Uh, look at the ears. On oh no, Skeletor's the devil. Skeletor's the devil. <laughs> What's going on there, Orcos? Capers. <laughs> you know. So, um, and I was like given like um, King David action figures in the place. In okay. Place of those. Yeah. Uh, which, uh, uh, all right, you know. But even King David had an affair with Bathsheba. So, you know, what are you teaching me? He got in some stuff in the Old Testament. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Now, how much of that stuff did you actually have to research? I mean, what what involves being the child of a conservative Christian family is, I mean, I, most kids mm-hmm. in America anyway, and I guess around the world will grow up and there's some sort of religious influence, yeah. whether it's just, oh, God's watching you and it's like Santa Claus. He knows if yeah. you've been bad or good. And then there's other times when, no, you have to go to church every Sunday. Yeah. What did that entail? Every Sunday and every Wednesday night, uh, uh-huh. went to church uh, as, far, as far back as I can remember. Uh, I was dedicated as a baby by the late pastor Chuck Smith, one of the more famous pastors in the um, Christian world. Yeah, the, uh, leader of the Calvary Chapel in Costa Mesa. Um, so uh, I had that background. Yeah, it was it was constant. It just it, and it wasn't presented as a choice until late. And when I had the choice, I did leave for a while. Uh, or made my own choice. What and, age do you get that that choice? Sixteen, seventeen. Okay. It wasn't like presented like, "Hey, Ken, would you like to stop going?" It was like things <laughs> were going on, and I was like, "I'm done." I, I had a job. I got a job, and I worked on Sundays, uh, one o'clock. And I was like, I could either race with you, uh, go to church, race back, and get to my job as a dishwasher at a Royal Grande mm-hmm. Care Center convalescent home, or I could sit and watch the Miami Dolphins at ten a.m. in the morning <laughs> and pray to the church of Dan Marino. And it Which is just another church that might ultimately let you yes, down. The, more, more often than not, <laughs> that one would let you down. So I um, chose uh, football at that point. Yeah. <laughs> just, uh, the greatest trick the devil ever played was create the NFL. Um, but uh, then I, uh, about 21, 22, I went back. Um, then stayed with it when I moved to L.A. here, and then some things happened, and I, now I kind of attend the Church of Bono, and U2 <laughs> is my, my hymnals, um, and I haven't uh, been a regular church attendee for a long time, but I still hold a lot of that stuff near and dear to me. You hold the beliefs st- still close to your Be- heart. Beliefs, concepts, uh, theories, and outlook, um, but that's tough to say in these day and age, in this day and age, because when someone says that, it automatically thinks, you know, you're cutting... You know, you're trying uh, to sell them something. You, you're cutting out the, the the women's choice in the gays or something <laughs> like that, and that's not true. One of the reasons it's not true is I got outside the bubble. Once you get outside the bubble, and uh, I, I don't want to make it clear, I was never, never at any point um, taught or raised to to judge or, or hate or any of that stuff. My mom is uh, is very much against that stuff, very uh-huh. much to this day. Um, so that was never instilled in me. That's kind of a misnomer that that comes just naturally out of church. Some churches for sure, or some people for sure, but I, I was taught to raise and uh, to love and and, and accept everyone as, as you know, I want to be accepted. So I never had that problem but when you get to la and you get outside of the bubble when i was in my hometown i was surrounded by a bunch of middle class white people Uh 
That just was the name of my town. We had Cornelius and his family moved in <laughs> in about third grade. We had an Indian girl in second grade, and you had some some uh, Latino families, um, but mostly it was you know it was all white by just the nature. It's a little different now, but so when I moved to L.A. at twenty two in nineteen ninety eight, a whole world opened up. Welcome to Hollywood. Man, what's your dream? And I'm working <laughs> security at the Northridge Mall, and I have I remember one of the first times something hit me. We had a fight between two uh, kitchen workers at two separate restaurants. And uh, I was just asking someone later, like, what was the fight about? Well, he's Mexican and he's El- from El Salvador. And I was just like, what does that mean? And looked at me like, oh, my God. I thought everything below that line, below San Diego, was, was Mexican. It's all South America, <laughs> right? Right. And I, I could tell. there. I knew there was other countries, but I didn't know that uh, the, the people from El Salvador kind of you know, have a certain view of themselves. And the people of Mexico view that they you know, tr- go through their land to get to America, and they don't <laughs> like that. And, there's, and, it's, and it's an ugly battle years later i date an el salvadorian for four years uh, so you'd kind of, i definitely knew by that point did she know the guy in the kitchen uh, <laughs> yeah she had the roster she had the playbook <laughs> so my whole world opened up so when that happened when eventually you meet uh a gay man mm-hmm. who becomes a really good friend of mine um how could i not support him as a human when you get to know someone yeah. from the other side of the tracks and that's one thing that's very um Though I say I have all those beliefs or, or theories and, grow and stuff from my childhood and my conservative Christian background, uh, it doesn't exclude anybody, and that's something I, try, I strive for. Yeah, I mean, it seemed, it's almost like Star Wars. In that you Everything's can, like Star Wars. You can appreciate Star Wars because it is a neat sci-fi, mm-hmm. for lack of a better term, geeky, nerdy thing to enjoy, and there's a, there's a particular sect that really worships that. But the right. lessons that Star Wars teaches you are universally applicable to anybody. Yeah. Even if you hate sci-fi fantasy movies, you can still get in to Star Wars. And so yeah, you what should. you see, if you see a Mexican dude fighting an El Salvadorian dude, that's, that it comes from a place of passion. Yeah. Much like a, if, you, if you grow up very religious, it comes from a place of passion. Yeah. And even though you may only have to go to church for an hour on Sunday and an hour on Wednesday night, it permeates yeah. everything else that you do. Yeah. But it seems like you have a healthy outlook on it that it was never forced upon you. You you see you see so many times when religion yeah. w- was mandated from father to son, and that's yeah. the way it's always been. And you feel bad for those people because they were never able to step outside of that bubble. And yeah. maybe they'd go back, and maybe yeah. they wouldn't. Maybe they'd experience something else and go back to that world. But you want to give them the option. It seems like you are you're pretty open minded about the whole affair. I'm open minded. And again, it wasn't. I wouldn't say it was forced on me, but it was something I didn't certainly didn't have a choice. Um, and it was, but you know. Um, Again, uh, I never felt for. I don't regret it. Like I, I see celebrities in there. You know, I had a very repressed Catholic upbringing. Go, just go after yourself. All right, get over it. Okay, get over it. We're all living on this planet, trying to do some things here, and and I, um, I sell. I, I try to understand people of all, you know. Uh, creeds, races, and religions. That's just the point. If you go to one of my birthday parties, uh, you know, especially back in the day, in the ten years ago, I, I'd have groups from all over. Yeah, you know <laughs> that it just and the the one connecting factor was me because I'd like to try to get outside of my each individual bubble. Like I say, it's a big thing with me getting outside the bubble. That's why you can have a show like the Napsock Files, where you have yeah. interesting friends that you come on to interview because yeah. they come from such a diverse background that yeah. you have one guy from here and one person from overseas. And yeah, I, look, one of my some women. 
occasionally. Occasionally nice. some women. Uh, the only way I can talk to women is get them on a podcast. <laughs> it's the, the greatest uh, uh, trick m- we have. Let's face it. That's yeah. the only way any of us ever open up to anybody. Is yeah. If there's not a mic and a soundboard, nobody's having a deep uh, conversation. I, I, I have one of my uh, all-time best friends. He's a Hall of Fame friend. Chris McNeil uh, went to junior high with him. He's uh, I'm going to be in his wedding this coming year. And, uh, Speech. He, he, um, he said it. Oh, he didn't say it in one one big smack speech, but he said over the course of time, a few times, like he, he he's probably the best uh, writer I've ever been around. Mm-hmm. Playwright, screenwriter. If he wanted to be a screenwriter, he could be a screenwriter. He was a great playwright even back in in high school and uh, junior high. Just screw it, back even back then. Um, I lost contact with him and it was like you'd get back every few years. We'd float back in. I'd be like, you still doing uh, theater? He was a great actor, stage actor. Nah, I, I was only doing that to meet women. <laughs> Met him as a late, years later. Hey, what happened? You were a bartender in Frisco for seven years. Are you doing writing? I was only writing to meet women, and I, I've gained so much more respect for him because he was the only one to look around. And I know he know he knew he was talented. I absolutely know he was a tremendously talented performer and writer. Going back to when I first met him in seventh grade, but to look around and go, yeah, I'm good. I met all the women I want to meet. <laughs> You know, I I still res- I wish I could walk away sometimes. Yeah, and just that's go. a big source. That, that that's a lot of the ability that I've created for myself is yeah. that just to, like and you also you worry about if you die and you go to if there's a heaven you go into heaven and you meet Leonardo da Vinci and you're like man you invented all this stuff how what what, what was in your and he's like I just want to get pussy like, <laughs> I just wanted to get a date <laughs> yeah it's just like Michael how could you paint the Sistine or create the statue of David he's like I just I actually built the statue of David and he, and I was better hung than he was so girls look at the statue and then say I wonder what that guy's packing yeah. all the girls like the name <laughs> i just wanted to show them uh, yeah you hit on a nerve there because you're yeah. you're gonna go to your buddy's wedding from junior high or from high school yeah yeah and you recently as i have personal knowledge of this yeah. is you recently went to your high school reunion 20 year high school reunion that's got to be Eagles, class of such a trip because and yeah. i don't know what your what was your circle of friends like in junior high and high school and when do you start to maybe not drift apart from them but say mm-hmm. that I, oh, the church is coming taking my toys. <laughs> church come and took my toys. And postscript that I got all my He Man's back. By the way, good man, um, as you should have. And um, and maybe you're not allowed to see certain movies, and so occasionally your mind will go to this other world where maybe you decided, hey, maybe I'll just do the Ken Knapsack yeah. radio show in your room. Like, how do you compensate for the lack of I normal did, upbringing that that a, that a kid has? I, it's funny you mentioned. I did my own radio show in my room at seventh grade. I had a boombox with a microphone. I yeah. taped songs off the radio and be like, "Hi, this is Ken Knapsack here." The K- <laughs> Ken Napsack Studios. And Imagine I, a little Ken with a little suit on. Before, you know, I'm a huge fan of Phil Hendry, who's a pioneer in the business for all his voices and everything. I'm telling you, man, when I was in seventh grade, I used to interview myself with voices. And I had a rap character that come on. And I have a, I take a cardboard tube that I can left over, like toilet paper roll or paper towel roll, and I'd put it on there. And that, that, that would be my, uh, hey, this is uh, your producer in the other room. And I'd do this whole thing, and I'd record in my room for like hours at <laughs> a time. You had a little pit boss. I had, a, I had the whole thing. And I got away from that, but um, and now I'm back into it. I don't know what the original question was. I, I, I haven't seen Gremlins. Um, <laughs> tw- we were talking about the 20 year high school reunion. It is. Um, let me tell you something. I'm, I know you're probably a few years away from coming up on that. Now I went to the 10, and that was cool. I had a lot of fun. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, you don't think you're gonna, you know? And there's still 10s too close to high school, so you're still like, well, I, I hope. David's not there. That guy was an asshole. Still a little quickish. Yeah, and then I, I, a girl that I had a crush on in like sixth grade and ninth grade. I didn't go to junior high with her. She showed up, and she kind of graduated from a different class, but she showed up. Yeah, and the same butterflies from sixth grade popped up. Oh, they're still there. Still there. Mm-hmm. 
And so I, I had no doubt I was going to go to, I was looking forward to the 20th and I've accomplished a lot more from 28 to, to 38. Um, so I have a lot more to brag about, if you will, because that's kind of the point you go. That's why you go. That's why you go. But I, I had a lot of, a lot of friends who didn't make it. Um, uh, not because they passed on, uh, no, but, uh, because they like, ah, no, I don't want to go. Yeah, if I if I wanted to go hang out with you guys, I'll just let's just all get together. Yeah, and um, and it may not be their mindset that they don't that they have a lack of accomplishment and they're embarrassed, yeah. or they just accomplish too much in the form of a wife Some and kids did, yeah. to where they just can't get out of whatever it is, and so they come back or they don't, but they all know that Ken Knapsack, Golden Radio Boys Napty's coming back, <laughs> and he's done all these amazing things with his career yeah. in all these various fields. You got to feel like king shit walking around. Uh, you know, it was uh, it, twenty, and, and, and I feel like my point being with those people that didn't come is some of them are way too cynical for their own good i thought i get some of them might have had things and some of them just couldn't go uh ours was thrown together kind of the last minute like two months to go it was like hey let's try to do this um it was, it was lower scale and some people were upset about that and that was kind of ridiculous but um <laughs> yeah to, to show up yeah i wasn't popular um i went through phases in seventh grade um tremendously unpopular but i was in drama and i was doing good by eighth grade uh not popular but all the popular kids were like that that guy's funny I one one girl, one of the head cheerleaders, yeah. used to kept showing up to drama practice. I swear on my life to watch me. Could never could never prove it to this day. Um, I, I so I knew by but ninth grade you start over. You you press the reset button. Mm-hmm. So ninth grade, I tried to play baseball, and that was my thing. It was like screw uh, dramatics. I'm going to play athletics. Yeah, I've conquered this field. Yeah. It's time to move on to the I baseball. Didn't, I didn't go on to drama and speech like everyone else did. Mm-hmm. My friend Chris McNeil did. Uh, Ami Arad did. All these other people I knew, but I I I was like I'm going to go play ball for the Yankees. So this is my journey <laughs> starts here. Um, uh, yeah, big Yankee fan. My favorite player is Gary Carter, the New York Mets, uh, the late Gary Carter. Oh, so, such a hustler. Yeah, uh, the kid man. The kid so um i tried to play baseball i had a great baseball mind i still do i eventually became a great baseball manager baseball player not so much couldn't hack it i was a backup backup bullpen catcher at best <laughs> like i was the guy warming up. i was a good catcher uh-huh but no arm couldn't hit um so got cut in ninth grade Ooh. devastated me Ooh. devastated you me. got the michael jordan treatment cut in ninth yeah. grade and instead of picking the yourself back up and like i'm gonna go to the batting cages every day until the next year's tryouts i was like well now i'm clearly gonna go be a homeless man in seattle and maybe kill myself <laughs> like i went that route and spent two years 10th grade 11th grade underachieving and for a while ninth grade i was like well i'm gonna go to syracuse i'm gonna learn to be an announcer and i'm gonna be a baseball announcer uh if i can't do that i thought about i'm gonna be a baseball statistician uh, my math teacher, who was also the head football coach, John Hitchin, in ninth grade, was like trying to groom me to be a statistician. And then uh, got cut for the baseball team, and clearly life has ended. Yeah. And so I lost two years of productivity. Um, you, just, you just went into a funk. and you Went just, into a funk. You do your schoolwork, and you do what you can to get by. You're hanging uh-huh. out, still probably in your room, doing a lot, a lot of radio shows God in my room. knows what, a lot of radio shows. Running a, a fantasy wrestling federation in my room. Uh, I was the only participant. <laughs> uh, running a fantasy baseball league made of entirely fake baseball players. I just had this whole world in my head that I kept their stats and everything. I was the only participant. You're like the George Lucas of yeah. baseball. Yeah. Um, if I'd focused more on writing or something early on, I might yeah. have gone somewhere. And I went to Funk, and and I even I mean I went from I was on that four year high school uh, plan. Um, you, you were you being groomed to go to college from the time you set foot as a freshman yeah. in high school? Yeah, um, I uh, yes. The, I don't know how it worked uh, in your school, but in like in eighth grade, at the end of eighth grade, you had to choose uh, the plan you were on. Oh, and I was on four, and that's t- at eighth grade. 
Yeah. I'm 12 years old. Uh, choose choose the next four years, that which will set up your next four years I don't know what I'm that. hungry for for lunch. Right. Right. And I'm like, does summer like me? Um, <laughs> and that new U2 song is awesome. Um, mysterious way. <laughs> um, so actually, it was a couple years later. But, um, I'm going to play that on the radio one day. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So um, I was on the four-year Super Duper, all the credits in the world. You're going to go to a good college thing. And by get cut from the baseball team, ninth grade, summer, I'm out. I started dropping out of those classes. Uh, not not failing out of school, just not choosing them. Yeah. And end up in video production. and and But by senior year, rebound, and I got into drama again. wasn't in the drama class, but I was in a couple plays. I played Old Gobo in The Merchant of Venice opposite uh, uh, a lot of my friends, Chris McNeil again, Jack Rigoli, uh, Jamie Johnson, and uh, my friend uh, Manu Interreme, who was actually uh, eventually went on to star, uh, co-star in Deep Space Nine for a while. Oh, wow. Uh, and is down here as a working actor. Um, and so these, those are the kids that actually stayed with one thing. They stayed with drama. Yeah, they yeah, embraced the it, what years. it was about. And speech, too. And, yeah. they, and then you come back into that world. And are you still the funny guy when you're, when you're leaving yeah. high school? What is Ken remembered for by his classmates? Are you the funny guy that played off the seriousness of I, drama? I think I was generally well-liked. Uh, and by the end, a lot of the popular kids knew me as the funny guy. I'd have some popular kids tell me, hey, when you, when you get... Uh, you know, you get your late night talk show. Can I be the first guest? I'd be like, sure, yeah, absolutely. I'm Most book likely it now. to get his own talk yeah, show, my, Ken Napsack. And I won that. I won that. There you go. I won that in the school newspaper. Yeah. Uh, I most, got a few of those on yeah, my shelf. Yeah, I got that. Most likely, um, I got in the school newspaper. I got most likely to be on Saturday Night Live, and in the mm-hmm. yearbook, I was one of three, one of four people to get most likely to be a talk show host. And then uh, my yearbook quote, which I recently put up on Instagram, was me you know, folding ha- arms with the smile of the future, um, <laughs> saying it said. Uh, Letterman, Leno, Carson, Napsuck. Oops, uh, sorry, jumping to conclusions again. <laughs> worst thing you can. I would have should have just put "Have a nice summer." It's been fun four years. Yeah, Peace really. Out or something like that. <laughs> You're um, setting the bar pretty high there. I should have put a Jesus Jones lyric. <laughs> you know, just right here, it. right now. Uh, so. Um, so yeah. then you're going off to college. Did you go to college or did I you? I went to the local college, uh, Allen Hancock Community College, uh, for to study screenwriting and film production. That's where I started off. So you were thinking the movies, the talking pictures, you wanted to do it's something talking. in that more so than radio or any sort of yeah. live performance. Yeah. Yeah, okay. wasn't thinking. In fact, stand-up had been – I had told some people – I knew – in eighth grade, I was a big I want to be an SNL guy. Uh, I've told the story on like Macuga's Between the Sheets and other uh, other venues where you know I, I that's a true story. I delivered one, uh, several uh, uh, at least one book report I can remember actually in, in as Dennis Miller. Uh, you get know, laughs in, in eighth. Oh yeah, yeah. And I, at, at lunch in eighth grade, at lunch the girls and some friends would gather around on Mondays, and I'd reenact sketches I just saw on SNL. I do Phil Hartman's anal retentive chef character. We're gonna put the macaroons on here. I do church lady. Uh, isn't that special? I do all of that stuff, and then I like do week. We're having lunch at the table, and I'm like, mac, 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 here's the news, and what can I tell you? Like, and I'm in eighth grade, you know. So that kind of all went away, cut, cut from the baseball team. But by twelfth grade, it was back. I thought about. I told people I wanted to go be a stand-up comic in Toronto. In Toronto. Now you live in, in and, and Pismo Beach, California is is, is north is near Fresno. Is that no, what I'm no? It's still far from that. It's about two and a half hours north of Los Angeles, about an hour north of Santa Barbara. So you live right in the shadow, pretty much, of the Hollywood. most famous comedy clubs in the world, where yeah. every comic goes to get famous. Yeah. And you said, "I'm going to take that and fly out of LAX to go to Toronto <laughs> to build my career." Yeah, to go there. A uh, part of the reason I become obsessed with Kids in the Hall. Mm-hmm. And uh, Mike Myers. All Canadians are all funny. All Canadians. They're all funny. Um, 
So I was like, I think I'm going to go up there, maybe go to Second City in Toronto. I just was obsessed with leaving the country. It's a nice hit on the Uh, reset button, too. Yeah, I don't have a passport yet. Uh, 20 years later, I don't have a passport. I was just going to do some improv on the way through customs <laughs> yeah. and make them laugh. So, um, you know, but you have dreams. The dreams you have as children fade away. But um, I, so, but I graduated and I was okay, I'm going to go. My friend Joel wants to be a filmmaker. I was going to be a filmmaker too. I'm going to write my own Star Wars. For a while, I was like, I want to be a pro wrestling manager. I had become uh, a big pro wrestling fan. And wrestling me. was just one of those things that you had gotten into that was a nice escape along as with a child, the radio show or football or collecting sports cards, or whatever yep. else kids do. As a child, my dad would rent the. Uh, uh, Titan Sports Coliseum home videos McMahon was putting out watch some wrestling and then um, I would watch it on Saturday mornings and everything I have some early memories of the British Bulldogs and Roddy Piper and all that kind of thing and then um, I was told it was fake you know and then I was shown a video by my uncle and my father to prove it uh, it was Piper <laughs> fighting Andre the Giant and clearly Piper maybe was not hitting him as close as snug as Piper would want Yeah. Uh, flash forward years later when Piper punched me in a ring and I was <laughs> face was swollen for three days I can tell you it's not as fake he as he learned his lesson from fighting Andre yeah. um, so I you know, did what a lot of kids do ah, that's stupid I'm not watching it and then rediscovered it on a Saturday morning when I heard that the British Bulldog Davy Boy Smith had returned to the WWF and I tuned in and it was one of my favorites growing up haven't left since with a little bit in the attitude era the late 90s when i moved and i just didn't have access to tv as much in internet i got out of a little bit but now back in it full time and that's a whole other discussion maybe we'll get into but yeah wrestling was always something there so at the end of high school my friend joel and i and casey and, and blair and gavin and, and maddie d we all we had a wrestling federation at joel's house in napomo california in the backyard wrestling we built a ring and uh, got some mattresses and wow. uh, we wrestled we had characters i was the fire warrior and i was uh, the napomo mania napomo uh, regional champion one at one at uh, napomo mania one like we, we had the whole thing we booked it we planned it did you have an audience funny we did uh, his grandmother, before she passed away, watched would co- go and watch Joel, Joel's grandma would watch the first two or three shows that we did, and then in the neighborhood it was uh, Napomo at the time. I don't know how it has changed; it's grown a lot. But back then it was it was uh, it, it, the income was not as high for a lot of people living out there. So they needed entertainment. You had a lot of families out there, so you had a lot of uh, Lat- uh, Latino families love Lucha Libre, yeah. wrestling. They love it, and swear to uh, Iron Man that. Uh, uh, by the end of our run, <laughs> they would come out of their house and be like the crazy white kids are wrestling again, and they'd sit and watch. Yeah, we we had them. We should have charged them admission. We should charge them admission <laughs> now. We need to do a double bill where it's the Ken Napsok backyard wrestling and the Christian mm-hmm. Harloff Florida State boxing ring. <laughs> yeah, exactly, Just one epic night of pay per view exactly. schmoes fighting television. And there's still video VHS tape of that stuff around with me at like seventeen, eighteen, nineteen. Oh, it's wrestling. fun to go back and watch those, isn't it? So, I, but I thought coming out of high school, maybe go to L.A. Um, either Toronto for comedy or L.A. for wrestling and learn to be a wrestling manager. And my friend Joel, who's a little bit taller than me, maybe was going to be the wrestler and I'd manage him. Um, so flash forward again, the only dream of my childhood that came true was I was a wrestling manager mm-hmm. for four, uh, actually five, six years. Um, so that's so I went to community college to study film, screenwriting, wrote about 11 screenplays, all horrible. One based on the adventures of my space Legos. Um, years later, I look back and I'm like, I had a good idea that now they're doing Lego movies. Uh, I should have... It's done a little more. Yeah, I that. heard that did okay. <laughs> that did all right. Made a few bucks. Everything is not awesome in Ken's life. So, um, so what was the first big move then? So, how did you actually get out of that town? How did you get out of this one horse town? Yeah, well, what and did move happen? Typical of me. There's a pattern in my life. Uh, I don't like formal learning. 
I don't like to sit and be taught things. You I resist like, the like education to, system. I do. I like to learn on the fly and get some notes as I go along. So uh, community college wasn't looking that good. My, my friend Joel was preparing to go to CSUN to transfer to CSUN to their field program down here in Nor- uh, Northridge. Um, my friend Casey was preparing to go to CalArts. First, he was going to make a stop at Pasadena City College and go to CalArts, which he did. Uh, he wrote on and uh, did a lot of work on SpongeBob for years and is now behind the show Uncle Grandpa on Cartoon Network. Um, Joel got his master's in screenwriting. I uh, got a job in radio. Uh, How do you get a job in radio uh, if you if your resume says <laughs> I used to talk in a lot of different voices in my room? In my room. What had happened is my friend Matt Donovan and I, who had become my eventual radio morning show partner, uh, we had been met in video production our senior year, and we got tied into a UHF station on a uh, avocado farm in the Napomo Hills <laughs> above Arroyo Grande, California. Uh, we did some pre-taped videos for them that actually, for their time, were really damn funny, very daily show type stuff. I did driving tips with my friend Kate. It was very funny stuff. And Matt was ahead of his time as an editor and, and, and videographer. And they aired our stuff. So the first year, college goes, first semester goes by, and I'm all film, stu- film student. You, la- you guys on the Schmoes know laugh now because I, I don't see movies, and I'm like, Dad, that sucked. That's a back then, 94, <laughs> man. I saw everything. I was the expert. I knew I was, the, here's the 12 movies you need to know for this. This that Kevin was Smith guy is going to be something. Yeah, this Clerks this Tarantino. Had, Clerks had just come out. Mm-hmm. Pulp Fiction had come out. Mm-hmm. It was like, you know, Reservoir Dogs had come out. It was a good time to be a, good time. a snarky film freshman yeah, that yeah, knew English everything. English patient paled in comparison <laughs> to Pret-a-Porte. Um, so, you know, that's going on. And I started getting bored with it and getting bored with the process. And I wasn't, you know, you have to learn. You have to struggle. And you, you, back then, you think, or when you're young, you think success is going to happen. And occasionally it does for some people. Um, but for me, it didn't so much. And uh, I wasn't, I hadn't found my comedic voice yet. But anyways, we, we this UHF people, they call us and they go, we now have the ability to go live. We're going to do a live show Monday through Friday, 7 o'clock to 7.30. Would you guys like to help crew the show? Cool. Great. Good opportunity. So we did that at night. Except for one night we couldn't because of a screenwriting class or something like that. And we did it. I was a floor director. Kind of like you see me mm-hmm. now on the Schmoes Now Network. It's me going, count, counting down in one. I was uh, Five, like, like, Wayne, four, like Wayne's three. World. That was me. Uh, do you want me to scare you? Um, and then my friend Matt would do uh, the floor direct or, or, or the directing in the control room. Learn from uh, Marty Scala, the, who had worked, uh, who owned the place with his wife Cherie, and, and they had. Uh, we met uh, great characters. This guy Merle Fankhauser, who wrote the song Wipeout, and all. And, and they, yeah. they, they had shows Monday through Friday. It was in each a different show. The Thursday host bailed. And uh, it, you know, Wally, Wally Pips out. Wally Pips got a headache, man. <laughs> Wally Pips got a headache. Garrick, kid, grab a bat. You're in the game. <laughs> so they let me host the show, and I wrote a monologue. And Matt and I came up with bits. We had this bit called Bumper Stickers, Celebrity Bumper Stickers. We did all this stuff, and I hosted the show for six months every Thursday. And there's tapes of that that exist, and it's horrible. I look back and it's horrible, but we had some fun moments. But and you also get a chance to spread your wings a little yeah. bit and see if this is maybe something that I should try to pursue uh, for the rest yep. of my life. I'm 19 with a live live show with a listenership of five. Um, <laughs> but I, I had someone write me the other day on Facebook. They Route 66 TV Live, man. Wow, I used to watch you. Um, so I did that, and one of the nights uh, was radio. The local radio guys, John Mackey and Freddie B. Um, from KBR 95 would come in and host the show and uh, there was the big morning DJs in town and Matt and I uh, one day just kind of said hey we've got a workers work experience class coming up at college we need to get an internship do you guys need interns 
little did we know the station had a no budget and all those kind of <laughs> things. Uh, Mackie, who at the time I thought this old grizzled guy, he was 35 at the time, three years <laughs> younger than me. He was a New York. He, his ex ex roommate was the uh, drummer for the Bengals. Uh, he mm. you know he uh, knew Michael Stipe from a tour uh, when in '82. Like he was a roadie for another band. Which are the best stories to impress somebody who yeah, just wants to be big, an intern? Big Bruce Springsteen guy, you know stuff. Yeah. So um, and Mackie's like, uh, yeah, yeah, that's good. Yeah, show up Monday, six a.m. Freddie B's like, yeah, okay, yeah, show up, Monday, 6 a.m., cool. Show up, we're in the lobby. Like, you know, I didn't have a suit and tie at the time, but I might as well have just sitting there like, hello, sir, here to promote, uh, you know, here to start my radio career. Here's five bucks. Can you get me a coffee down at the donut shop over there and two sugars? <laughs> like a young Josh Tapia. Yeah. Just yeah. want to do anything you can. Yeah, uh, here's a list of CDs to pull. <laughs> pull them right now. I need a place that, I need to get a place that started for the 630. Uh, oh, okay, I'm pulling, you know. Yeah. You know, splint meat puppets and uh, all this stuff That's, off, yeah, off yeah. the shelf. Backwater swirl. Um, so that was 95. Uh, ni- yeah, late ni- yeah, 95. And uh, that parlayed into quickly uh, I started calling in, being callers. Uh, you get know. to do your characters? Yeah. Your yeah, zany make-em-ups? I, I, I do a... Uh, I do a um, a character that was like a country bumpkin and be like, hey, man, I'm trying to win a prize. Or, oh, my God, my sheep is biting me. Oh, and it just, Mackie loved it. He just loved it. Freddie B liked it, too. But Mackie just, just that's funny. You don't have a hat, little hat. That's funny, man. Go get on the phone. Go get on the phone. So then it was like uh, Fred would do the sports. One day, you know, hey, can you read the sports for us? So I started reading sports. But instead of doing, you know, you know, the Mets beat the uh, Cardinals four to three. Mike Piazza hit two home runs. I'd be like, uh, Mets beat the Car- or Dodgers at the time uh, for Piazza. Dodgers beat the Cardinals four to three. Piazza had two home runs, and after the game, said, first you get the sugar, then you get the women, then you get the power." <laughs> like I do, I would do stuff like that, quoting the Simpsons and stuff like that. And Mackie loved that, and so I started doing sports. And then, and then Fred uh, left, went to another radio station, and I kind of got more airtime. I was doing news and sports, and I did. I said, "Hey, can I do uh, music news and produce it and play it all through the day?" Each day, I'll, I'll write it in the morning based off those days' headlines. Produce it. I'll do it live. I said I'll do it live on the morning show. Tape it, and we'll play it on a on a track on a cart. We had carts back then, and that's what I did. And I said, as a as a theme music, you know what I need? I need Bret Hart's theme music. A, a big wrestling fan. There's the I, wrestling. I, 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 had, I had Diesel's music, and then I settled on uh, uh, Kevin Nash's music. And then I settled on Bret Hart's. So that music you hear now on Schmoes knows what I used in 1997, and it's still there today. Uh, when the kids yeah. hear it, yeah. they know they're getting some movie yucks. Yeah. <laughs> I'm Ken Abzug, this is your Cable 95 Rock and Roll News Update. David Bowie, did it go into the whole thing. So you had the production mind yeah. for so long, and then yeah. that when you combine that with your desire to, and, and a largely unexplored by that point, I imagine, mm-hmm. of making, or at least entertaining people, yeah. maybe not necessarily just making them laugh, but also informing and just having a voice in yeah. the public, how does that eventually become something that you want to do on stage? Yeah, again, see, again, there's where... So I did that. Sorry, you know it's funny. I'm getting texts from Roger Craig Smith, named driving. He's texting me right now, and Tiffany Smith. I get to well, he's got a better buddy. voice than both. Yeah, of them. he does. Talk about success stories. So um, I, I have a lot of patterns, uh, bad patterns in my life, and, and one of it is you know, I should have continued in radio. I don't have a lot to show from that time period. Four years. Uh, there was also a time I forgot a little separate story. I did uh, uh, me and Matt and my friend Gavin did a six hour six hour broadcast every Friday at a pirate radio station. And that was kind of going on on the side, and then I got the K-Bar job, and I had to leave that because yeah. it was pirate radio, man. Sorry, man, I got to sell yeah, out. Yeah, but it was uh, uh, Charlie Goodman 
uh, he's still going strong over there at a micro-powered radio station and taught me a lot, and he was a mentor, too. Uh, I forget to give Charlie credit. You remember all these people's names. Yeah. All your friends' uh, names, you, all the people who give you your first job. <laughs> I remember nobody. I know uh, Tommy at the comedy store, <laughs> and that's it. It's a good name to remember now. Um <laughs> So, um, I, but I, I pull out a lot on a lot of things. It's a confidence issue, maybe. I don't know what That's it why is. Why you have no kids? You get a little bored. Right. Uh, <laughs> yes and yes. Um, <laughs> it's not supposed to go in there. And then uh, um, I should have gone on or at least had more air checks. I should have gone. I, I thought for a while, maybe I'll try to go to Santa Barbara, K-Tide or something like that. You know, maybe L.A. You know, but I loved Stern at the time. I saw private parts in the theater seven times. I was a morning show host when that came out. Were you just getting jaded by that being your only outlet? No, I got bored and, and stupid, 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 stupid. Um, I could have done it all. At the same time, I was like, I want to go to L.A. and be a screenwriter and make movies again. I got away from that. Just have that one track line where this has to be the focus and I'm an artist dedicated to my craft and I can barely take the time out of writing to eat, much less have a radio show. Yeah, radio show. And then I lost the morning show and I wasn't – we we, mean Matt got fired from the morning show. He got kept on in production and news and then uh, I – quit actually i quit the radio station and then um my program director at the time joe avino uh let me rescind it and i moved to graveyards and i worked uh, five days a week six hours shifts uh graveyards like midnight to 6 a.m and i had some fun too every night i was kind of pissed off but i shouldn't have been and um every night i changed my name that's a perfect mentality yeah. for somebody working the graveyard yeah i had a list somewhere uh, it's still probably one of my storage boxes it's every name i i <laughs> used during that time and it'd be like you know slappy banister or fats fats calhoun or you know slappy von horton all these stupid names I'd, every night i just <laughs> and then i'd write it down yeah for whatever reason uh and then uh, the radio station um and now during that time when you're alone 2 a.m. playing Skinnerd. Yeah. Uh, you know, weird things happen to you when you're working a graveyard shift as a DJ. Uh, I, I had, um, I, I was friends with all the crew members of the local supermarkets because they'd call. And, hey, man, I, I went, I'm married to the girl you went to high school with. So, Renee, you know Renee? Yeah. <laughs> hey, me and my buddies were here at Vaughn's. All right. I'd play an hour of their requests straight. Here's another one going yeah. out to Renee. Right. Give your yeah. lover three this steps. Is, uh, this is for Keith over and his crew over at Vaughn's uh, the next hour. <laughs> and they loved me. So every night, man, and who, no one's listening from my bosses. You know, who cares? Yeah. I, I had more. And then I, I have um, uh, one guy used to call drunk every night from downtown and be like, man, can I want some cat scratch fever, man? And he'd start crying every night. And I'd be like, man, you okay? I just want to hear some cat scratch fever. It's like three in the morning. And then I had one woman who would always call, and she'd be having sex. And I'm at the time I'm, I'm innocent, naive, and I'd be hearing, <laughs> "I want, can you play garbage? Only happy when it rains." I'm like, "Sure, what's going on? I just do it now, do it now." <laughs> oh, okay. So I play this song. This one goes out to Teresa, who's doing some calisthenics. She's probably doing the guy who wanted to hear Cat Scratch Fever's brother. You know? <laughs> it's all in Small town, probably. <laughs> so I got bored with that, and. Um, I uh, want to be a big screenwriter. I want to win my Oscars. I want to create my own Star Wars. And um, I just focused on that and uh, lost my job in radio. We all, the whole staff got laid off one mm-hmm. morning and uh, I was jobless for a while. Coached a baseball team. We won a little league championship in oh, my that, town. There's your movie right there. Yeah, there it is. And uh, my friends are going down to see my, well, they had been down to, at CSUN. Joel, Joel had been down two years and Casey had been out here uh, going, now going to Cal Arts and they said, hey, it's, you know, we're going to move. We're going to get an apartment. We're going to move out of the dorms. And I was like, I'm, I'm doing it. I'm coming down. And it was one of the only moments in my life I've been really brave. 
And that's key. I always look back and to the, to the young folks listening, you got to take those chances. You got to have at least one of those you moments. Take, take those leaps. You got to tell the the people who have formed your your life up to that point that yeah. thank you. Your work here it may not be done, but yeah. you can clock out for yes. a little bit. I got to go yeah. blaze my own next trailer. chapter. And and thank Captain America. I made that decision and I uh, moved to L.A. in August 1998. And uh, got a, I tra- I was working in a movie theater at the time with Joel and those, the gang, and and I transferred to a theater down here in Granada Hills, and so I had a job and my uncle was down here was a retired police officer and he had just uh, retired and uh taken a job at the north of fashion center as a security director which is uh, they just come back from the earthquake the 94 earthquake they rebuilt so this is 98 and um i go i'm like yeah i'll get a job working security you know it seems fun you know i didn't know the stigma that was attached to at the time <laughs> i'm just this naive kid oh the guys in uniform helping out sure i'll do the job i'll be here about a year you know 16 years later i'm now the director um, but that's a whole separate thing. But uh, then I quickly focused on sketch and improv. I was like, uh, I'm going to go back. I got the I got the bite because I was again. I was when I left town. I had gotten back into church, and I was actually the head writer for the drama department of the church. I used to write little sketches that would appear on Sunday mornings and Saturday nights. And, some uh, limitations there, I imagine, with with what I you had can some, and can't and do. And there were some. I knew when I the pastor. He was he he was he loved Seinfeld. And he loved he was he was you know, not stuffy man. He was in mm-hmm. a rock band when he grew up. Then so there's. I knew when I'd write one that was a little too far because he'd be like, Ah, Kim, we're gonna we're gonna only put that one on Saturday night. Like, oh, okay, no problem, no problem. But I wrote some stuff, and uh, I'd come down to Thousand Oaks for like some festival, some church drama festival, and there was an improv section and uh, i had done it in eighth grade quite well and uh got up and did a improv scene and killed killed yeah you know you know that there's no drug greater than that you get the laughs and oh this is i'm special i'm chosen no because radio yeah i'd get i occasionally would get recognized in town you know people recognize my name or my voice or something and you know you're doing good work when you do radio but especially you because you're very good at it you had your bits and whatever you scripted but but you never get that instant feedback like you do when you're live on stage in front of a crowd yeah radio we did things like matt Matt and i matty d and i had a bit where we hired a sportscaster named doug hickman from uh, akron ohio and we we created this entire character he was coming he just come from cincinnati i think it was actually we hired him he's a big professional and we carried it out for like two weeks doug, <laughs> doug hickman starts monday this date and then monday came like sorry doug's uh, flight got delayed <laughs> tuesday doug's car broke down wednesday finally friday doug you're in studio he trips he falls we make a sound effect boom he hits his head and doug hickman's no longer with the station you know? my apologies to matt damon yeah, yeah 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 that's exactly that's the kind of stuff we did so a lot of the fans were like hey, just, just play the rolling stones um, but so, then you need that validation at some point from yeah. from, a, from a real crowd. Yeah, right? so I get that. And I yeah. remember that moment. I was doing a bad Russian accent. It was some stupid scene in an Olive Garden. Swear, to, swear, on, swear <laughs> on Iron Man, man. I know you love Olive Garden. Congratulations on your pasta pass. Thank you. Um, Thank you, Schmogel. But, but – um, I got that laughter, I'll, and I remember it to the day I die. It was like, what is this? I remember this. Oh, yes, the laughter. It's something going through my veins. Yeah. And I'll get, I'll get texts from you to this day yeah. that say, oh, I, I really get it. It's almost like you're Jones in for a fix, where it's just, yeah. I, I, got the, I got the bug hard. I just did a storytelling show, and man, yeah. I had this one line that I knew was going to kill, yeah. and it murdered. Even when you're doing the news, you, the, can, yeah. you can see that's another one of these threads that goes through the life of Knapsack, where it's every so often <laughs> you need to be in front of people yeah. and murder which you've always had the skill to do and then sometimes you either go away from it and then you come back to it but that initial time when you said i need to pursue sketch and improv as my career 
Yeah. What, how did you try to make that happen? So what I did, and I had been – it's funny. I tell the story a little differently now that I think about it. But I, I, I remember on Between the Sheets and you were there with Makuga. Um, As I usually talk, am. Yeah, talking about the groundlings. And I had chosen – like, oh, I'm going to move to L.A. and join the groundlings. Kind of true. It was in the back of my head. But, but um, I didn't know if I'd do it. And – when I got that left, it was about, I'd already been living in L.A. for a month. It was weird. I went back up, visited my folks, and came back down and hit the uh, conference on the way back mm-hmm. home and got the laughter. I was like, all right, that's it. I got to do this. I, I, I'm, you know, dancing around this issue. I got to join up. And I just, you know, normal – back then you couldn't go on the internet and find much information. It was like – No, you got to show up. You got to look yeah, for a phone number, like, ask somebody yeah, walking by. It was a groundlings.geocities.spring <laughs> webpage. So I drove past it, and, and, and I had – People don't. A lot of people might be there. You hear the stories of. But then I parked and I walked into the groundlings and said, "I'm where do I get to on the stage?" That was not me. I circled it for five weeks. I drive mm-hmm. past it. I wouldn't even go see a show. I couldn't afford to really. But I um, finally got the nerve up one day, and I didn't drink back then. Um, so I got um, got the nerve. Called them. How do I uh, join? Uh, oh, you got to audition. Uh, you, we got one Saturday, ten thirty. Oh God, click. <laughs> Don't give my name because yeah, then they'll remember it yeah. forever. I might be successful. Um, so I called back, set up my audition, um, which back then was – they just wanted to make sure you weren't some idiot or a homeless guy at the comedy store who wanted to you know, come and do a different kind of warmth uh, in the sketch there. Um, passed the audition, started classes in January 99, and that's what I was going to do. Uh, well, this is simple. I'll just do this and be on Saturday Night Live. Yeah. And once again, the negative pattern in my life started. Um, I focused on just that. And didn't go to auditions, didn't get this, didn't didn't do the other things people do when you get to town. Did you? And you never did stand up at this point. Never did. Stand never up. tried to to exercise those comedic chops. In no, a- in fact, you're kind of taught back. You'll find this thread. It's maybe not as prevalent now. I don't know, but you'll find this thread uh, in sketch and improv where stand up you look down on. <laughs> yeah. Oh, st- oh, those those guys are those open micers that tell the uh, cats are pretty funny jokes. Yeah. Okay. Um, there was even an improv warm up game where we pretend to be stand ups. You know? Yeah. So it was yeah. like this. I looked down. Then I met a guy. His name was Perry. I, I forget his last name now. Apologize, Perry. But he was a British guy. He was doing uh, groundling stuff. And I loved the guy. And he was really funny. He was a stand-up. He, he just was taking improv to kind of learn. And he, he ended up going back to London, I believe. Um, and I really liked that guy. And we, we were in the third level. So I moved up kind of quickly. And at each level, I, I was told, uh, you're one of the best. Um, my te- first teacher, Chase Winton, was like, "You're my most reliable student." That's need, what that's yeah. what I would imagine you being in the Groundlings mm-hmm. is is a glue guy like mm-hmm. a Phil Hartman, a Phil Hartman that yeah. could also occasionally go out and do a Will Farrelly character. Yeah, yeah. Where oh, you, you never even knew to trust Kenny in a sketch because he could be the straight man yeah. or he could be the wild card. Pretty pretty accurate. Uh, I was a big Kids in the Hall fan, as I mentioned. Also, a big Monty Python fan. I loved Absurdist humor. Grew up a big SNL fan, but a lot of my favorite sketches were the Absurdist sketches. And the uh, Groundlings, for those listening who don't know, is just a brutal a trial by fire that just gets more intense with every level that you get to until yeah. you get to the point when you're auditioning to be in the Sunday Company, which is yeah, yeah. where you're performing live in front of real a, people. A 12-week class. It's a boot camp of comedy. And that's uh, where everybody, you always hear the stories, and then the, the last yeah. week, that's when Lauren Michaels flies into town and picks three people <laughs> Mar- to be on Marcy SNL. Klein is there, yeah, mm-hmm. and everything. Uh, Michael Shoemaker, all these guys. So, yeah, yeah. Um, I moved up pretty quickly in 99, and it's a huge wait list now. I mean, my writing partner, Matt Keyes, on the Sunday company at the time of this recording, and uh, it took him like two years between 
third, level three, and level four. Mm-hmm. Level four is the final one. And since then, they've added other classes. Back then, it was pretty simple. It was a fun shop, which was for you know soccer moms and business guys who wanted to loosen up. And then basic, intermediate, writing lab, performance lab. And even going through that, that takes some amount of time. And where if if you are the Ken Knapsack that has the one-track mind that doesn't want to be bothered with any other artistic Uh endeavor, Uh that can drive you a little I stopped screenwriting. I stopped screenwriting. I didn't even go to – and people were telling me, oh, make sure you do – go to like other stuff. Go over to Acme. Do some other stuff. Start performing. Do stand-up. Do all the things. And I I was an idiot. I was an idiot and didn't listen to the people who have gone before me. And I I just, nope, 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 nope. This is the path. Trust me. Trust me. Lauren Michaels is waiting for me. So what happened? when you kept moving up the ladder then all of a sudden well, it then, stopped well then, well then you move up and of course then you're feeding your own ego like uh, you know, the first Chase Witten saying you're great then Tim Bagley saying you're great and then, uh, then you move up and Kathy Shambly is, who's an old, older groundling from the 80s you know uh, she's like oh you're one of the best and you're getting these laughs and, and, and the six week course is a writing course and you perform one show in front of an audience um, my late uncle uh, I'm so glad my uncle Nick uh, and my aunt Liz got to come out and watch me perform that oh, that's and, a big and, thing and, yeah. he, and he passed away uh, t- uh, two years ago now um, and he was a big supporter of my career, so that meant a lot to me that I got to, he got to see me on the same stage that Paul Rubens and, and Phil Hartman and Will Ferrell performed on. It's great for them, and it's great for you too, because yeah. you because now you have some you have an ambassador, yeah, for the rest of the family saying, "No, I no, saw no, it he's, happen." He's, he's there. It's like Rudy. It's yeah. like no, I, they saw him run out he, of the tunnel wearing the wearing the uniform. Played. I got to play it. <laughs> um, and back then you performed. Nowadays, I heard. I just recently heard that the, some of the levels you don't get to perform on the actual groundling main stage until like the fourth level. So I wouldn't have gotten that chance if I'd done it. Now. You didn't make it to fourth level. No, I did make it to fourth level. You did. And so fourth level comes along. And uh, I told the story ad nauseum in other places, but this can kind of be the definitive record. It, it is the Napsack Files. It's intimidating, and it's big time because you know you're a level away from the you're top gun, getting getting called up to AAA, and then you're a level away from Major League. And sometimes, you know, people like Maya Rudolph and, and Jimmy Fallon got plucked. Uh, you know, and he was doing a lot of other things, but he got plucked from like his class. Mm-hmm. Uh, he he quit uh, and went to join SNL mid school. Uh, Maya Rudolph was barely. She finished Sunday Company. I think I don't think she hit the main company yet. She was picked up. Uh, um, Mad TV was picking people up. So you, you're close. You're close, mm-hmm. and all this time's putting into it. Uh, and then you know I. In my class, I got people like Mikey Day, who's now a writer on SNL. Uh, his girlfriend at the time, he, he's now married to another woman. His girlfriend at the time is Nassim Bedrod. Wow. Uh, his roommate's Taryn Killam. Wow. Uh, my friend Tim Blaney's in the class, who was the voice of Frank the Pug in <laughs> Men in Black, mm-hmm. and Johnny Five in Short Circuit. Andrew Hotry, one of the most uh, accomplished commercial actors, actors of all time. Nicole Randall Johnson, who went on to Mad TV, uh, was the mother and role models um, of mm-hmm. a little, little kid. Uh, Melinda Hill, who's gone on to... Very, a lot of success in stand-up and acting. Amy Witchery is very talented as oh, well. You, you know Amy. Um, and uh, So what happened? So what happened? <laughs> Peter Sprite. Pick these names up. Peter, I love Peter, Peter Sprite. Sprite. Brian Keith Etheridge. Kristen Wiig. So they're all in this class. And um, I come out the first day with a sketch because you're not – it's it's mostly an introduction, and next week start bringing sketches. But if you, anyone have a sketch now, cool. All right, four of you do. All right, I put up a sketch nervously. Like I turn to this young mm-hmm. kid, and I'm like, "You you want to be in the sketch?" And it's Mikey Day, and he, yeah, yeah, okay. And we put that sketch up. I was later told by people in the class that sketch scared them because they went, "Oh crap, it's it's major." These league. guys can play. It's major league now. If I'd known that during that time, might have been. I didn't find out till like year two uh-huh. later. Um, I went to a funk. Uh, I didn't know what I, I, I was. I was doing well. I, I was a leader as a writer. 
uh, as a performer, I learned I was in a scene with Kristen Wiig on stage during our first show, and uh, she turned a line that I wrote that was a throwaway line. She turned it into a slayed the audience laughter, and I in I'm on stage live in front of a hundred people in the audience, and I'm being judged because of the groundlings are being mm-hmm. judged. I'm in my I'm supposed to be acting, and I'm looking at her, and I'm thinking in my head, I'm not an actor, <laughs> I'm a writer. What am I doing up here? Well, that's not a good thought to think when you're live. What in front am of I people? doing up here? There is a sketch you can look it up. It is uh, Kristen Wiig and Melinda Hill Tooth Fairy sketch. It's from the Groundling Show. They're both in blue dresses and then doing this hilarious sketch about being tooth fairies and they're, it's called confessions of a tooth fairy and um they're talking about how they uh you know what they do to the children at night mm-hmm. and all this stuff and it's hilarious um i was off my sketch was next with peter, peter sprite and tim blaney we were playing lawyers who played lunch league basketball <laughs> funny premise but it wasn't working and i'm sitting there in my little jersey for the basketball listening to this sketch go on before me and i thought it's over i gotta follow the beatles in 64 well no but i i i got serious real quick in my head i got i said to myself it's over i'm not i'm done here i can't do it anymore and self-fulfilling prophecy maybe because i had six more weeks to disprove that but I was over. I was wow. Done. I was done in that moment. I just, for something hit, and I'm not happy about it, proud about it, but I, I sat there. So watch that sketch on YouTube. And off Melinda Hill's, what would be Melinda Hill's, like, left <laughs> shoulder, I'm sitting four feet away, and my sketch career is ending. Just know that all yeah. the people having a great time in that audience. Ken <laughs> all like, this laughter. There's a dream dying. If you turn I'm up the volume, you can hear it. Near tears. Uh, they're going, it's over. This four-year dream I put a lot of time into. And I did. I got voted out December 17, 2002 at 2.30 in the morning. I got a call from Karen Mariama. Sorry, your time's done. She's crying. I was okay. I dealt with it. And exactly like I did before, I went to a funk. Mm-hmm. I got cut from that baseball team. Mm-hmm. I went to that funk. And it was bad. And it led to two suicidal episodes. It led to years of depression. Two suicidal episodes? Yeah. Led into bad stuff. And I don't blame anyone else but me for that. What happens, though? I mean, because you just get tunnel vision. Tunnel and, vision. And you can't see all the other uh, positive things about your you life. Can't, you can't see you're overwhelmed. It's a tidal wave of bad emotion. It's you feel crappy. You feel like I've, I've failed. You feel you have no support. At the time, I had no friends. Yeah. Uh, I, I mean, take the back. I had friends. I had a lot of, a lot of work friends. But, but what I say, and I just did this episode of Depression with, with Dr. Gary Ventimiglia, episode 46 of the Napsock Files. Please, it's an important episode. Listen to to it um i don't have that support system yeah family yeah this and that but i i don't when you're alone when you fail and then you go home i played madden football 2003 for a month straight in february from i got voted out in december kind of oh it's okay it's okay mid-january to mid-february i played madden football every day till my brains went out and ended it the game, I, f- I messed up. I f- lost all my franchise. 17 years of my franchise. Ooh. That's tough. That's tough. Yeah. That's enough to drive a man to death. Yeah. Uh, and then within like a week, a week, I tried to, my first suicide attempt. So, How serious are these things? I mean, are these, are, are they serious. just half-hearted? Like, I'm just going to pop first, a couple first, pills I, or I'm just going to... I say suicidal episodes because yeah. it, it feels more honest. Mm-hmm. Um, it wasn't like that. But I, I went up to a five-story building to jump. I was, wow. I was there. I was on the ledge. It was at my work. Um, and it's it's above the yard house now. Back then it was empty. Um, I think maybe it was the yard house at, uh, at Northridge Northridge Fashion yeah. Center. It, at the time, might have been a cost plus world market. So imagine if you're buying your wicker basket, suddenly your uh, security guard drops into I'll your basket. Tell you this, it's a lot easier to get off the ledge if there's a yard house down there waiting for you than <laughs> exactly. it is a Costco. Co- a cost and plus. so you just thought and you said, okay, not tonight. Not tonight. Pulled back, recovered for a year. 
like I'm happy, happy, happy. Mm-hmm. Went to another church, uh, Rocky Peak Church, and I'm back on the track, back on the track. Got a little part time job with my friend at a foreign exchange business that it was just him. He owned it, so uh, he had a literally it was like a, a weird scene out of Scarface. It was uh, stacks and stacks of euros, and on top of it, a loaded forty five. And he stepped out for a little break, and. Um, I was like, I'm doing good. This last year's been, boom, grabbed that gun, put it to my head, put the safety off, and went to pull the trigger. Wow. It was that close. So was it an attempt? No, it was an episode. It, it was me praying for the courage to pull the trigger, uh, as I discussed uh, quite dramatically in my last in episode 46. But um, that's what it was. And I don't mean to be dramatic with it. That's what it was. So then it was like, I think I might need some help. Yeah, and eventually struggled through, and then eventually got the help with Dr. Gary Ventimiglia. And but one of the things that has changed the Ken now versus Ken then is now look when I go out on the town with you and Josh Makuga. Yeah, um, it's so much fun for us. It's fun for me and Makuga because you're just one of these personalities that it's just <laughs> it's so interesting, and you tell a really good story, and you can't imagine that somebody else like you would have these bouts with depression that would last that long because you seem like somebody who has everything. You wear a suit, Ken. People (laughs) who wear suits generally don't act like that. I I didn't buy a suit until, trivia question, um, my friend Kristen Wiig got married and I had to go to her wedding and I I had to buy my first suit for that, 2005. Um, So, yes, now. I go through depression now. But back then, what I'm saying is when I go out on a Friday night and I go to your house and I show up with a 30-pack of Coors Light because you. Uh, you wanted a six-pack, um, <laughs> and then we get an Uber and we drive over to Cougars and then we go take on the comedy store till yeah, 3 in the morning. Yeah, do some sets. Flirting with 22-year-old girls. Um, that That Ken Damsuck didn't exist 10 years ago. Uh-huh. And I'm not saying that's what you need to recover from depression because that – you know, maybe that can lead that to can lead to, lead to some depression. <laughs> but point is, um, I, I laugh, joke, smile, have fun, and have friends, uh, and I have a lot of friends now. Um, some of my other friends who kind of battle with depression. There's one thing. There's one strain of truth I notice in all these lives. They don't have a lot of support. Yeah. They have great people in their lives who are supporting. It's not to belittle the people in their lives, but there's a lot of alone on a Friday night. And it's hard to see that sometimes. Yes. If you're alone and, and and somebody's not calling you or you're waiting mm-hmm. for a text from one particular girl, and if she's not calling me, we've all been in that situation when your phone makes a noise. Yeah. And you're like, oh, I hope it's her. And if it's not her, I don't care who it is. <laughs> it could be the Dalai Lama yeah. offering me some sort of sage yeah. advice. And I'm like, well, it's not this chick. Yeah. And so, I, I misplaced, like, I, I didn't drink until I was 26. I didn't really start drinking, uh, and I don't advocate drinking as an answer. I really don't. But um, it takes the edge off for me. It's something I need. But It's um, not the answer, but it's a nice dot, dot, it, dot it, it every can so help. often. It can help, and you know there's some bad dark sides to it. Um, <laughs> um, but Bale's not that bad. But um, no, nah, um, Aladdin Bale Bonds, but really good company. Where I missed the boat, and this is my point, is so back when I started the Groundlings, and and for a while it was bitter. A lot of I got voted out, and other people went on to success, and no one's calling me for anything. But here's the thing: uh, we'd leave class or rehearsal, and we'd be on Melrose, and they'd be like, "Hey, cool, we're gonna go up to you know blank bar and um, blankety blank bar, or, and get a beer. We want to come." I'd be like, "Oh, I uh, I don't I don't drink. I I gotta go home." And I'd get in my little Plymouth Colt and drive home. Was that just that you just didn't want to drink, or was that some sort of religious it, no, remnant was, from your was, childhood? Wasn't religious. Well, I didn't drink because mom and dad said don't drink and don't do drugs. You know, um, that, that had nothing to do with the fact that unless it's Jesus's blood, I no, can't put it no, in my body. What it was was. Me using the uncomfortable nature of, well, I don't drink. Well, there's also water and Coke available. Mm-hmm. Well, Coke, Coca-Cola, I should say. Um, you just want to be begged to go out. Yeah. Uh, no, it was, it was, I 
couldn't – it was social anxiety. It was awkwardness. It was, well, I can't go, oh, my God, a bar. What do I do? What do I say? Oh, my God, I got nothing to add to this conversation. I went to a Super Bowl party in February of two um, – what was the one, the um, – the, the U2 uh, post-9-11 Super Bowl. So yeah, that's February, right. That was February the, uh, 2002. The Patriots upset the Rams. Patriots upset the Rams. I went to a Super Bowl party in West Hollywood with my friend Cecily, and it was at her brother's house. And uh, she had been telling everyone. It was like, uh, oh, my God, this is my new friend. We'd been friends. We met, met each other a few months ago. He's funny and hilarious and all these great things. And blah, blah. And she brought him. And she brings me to the party, and I sat there silently for three hours where people were in the other room were like, are you sure this is the right friend? <laughs> And she was like, he's like that, what's that frog you rub when he starts dancing when no one's looking? You know, like you rub his tummy and he's da 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 Oh, my baby. Yeah, um, that was me. And so, but it was it was extreme awkwardness and, and, and not being comfortable and not getting out. So I missed the point. It was, oh, I don't drink. But really the point was they were like, hey, we like you. Come on out and hang out. Form friendships with us and connections and be normal. And, and you just, and it wasn't normal. Whether it's the one track mind, whatever it is, the social anxiety. It it's, was not I need the to one track career on mind. It was social anxiety. It was, uh, no. It wasn't. Yeah. It wasn't career mode. It was. I'm only comfortable in my car uh, driving back to Canoga Park to sit and play Madden by myself. Well, then that sounds like the perfect training ground for a stand-up <laughs> comic. So yeah. my question to you in stand-up comedy is: Did it ever get as serious, or does it still ever get as serious as it did when you were deep into sketch and improv, where you said, "This is what I'm going to do. I'm good at this. I got a couple laughs at a show last week, and now I can yeah. turn that into a career." Was stand-up ever that level for you? No, I didn't want to do it. I mean, it's stand. You know, stand up is a very hard thing. It's easy to get up. I'm told, but it's. <laughs> hey, I saw you in the belly room in 2003. I'll tell you, it was hard. Um, it's hard to master, and it's a, it's a craft, and it's a job, and it, it is everything. And yeah, some are better than others, but um, I didn't really want to do it. And it was after I got voted out. My teacher, the direct, last director I had in the Groundlings, Carrie Mariama, she heard from. Uh, my friends Peter Sprite and Brian Keith Etheridge, both of them, the day uh, we all got voted out. A lot of us got voted out except for Kristen and Nicole, I think. And um, my friend Hayes Hargrove, who was in the class as well, very talented comic and funny guy too. And Andrew Hotcher, who was doing stand-up. And Peter Sprite called me because mm -hmm. back in the day you called. And he goes, uh, Ken, comma, <laughs> it's time to do stand-up, comma, I'll help you. Yeah. Um, and Brian Keith Etheridge was like, great, cool, you ready to do stand-up? Let's get to some real comedy. Let me show you how to do it. And those two guys are two of the funniest two comics I've ever seen. Peter's amazing, and Brian Keith is one of the funniest human beings and nicest human But Peter, Peter yeah. as well. They're two amazing mm -hmm. human beings. And um, they shepherded me into stand-up. So I did Brian Irwin's room. Uh, we did a voted. We did a voted out of Groundlings comedy show. Uh, <laughs> Melinda Hill, who's uh, you know at the time uh -huh. was kind of new into stand up. Now she's a great veteran of comedy. Kara Soltanovich, who was just friends with a gang. She was on the show and everything. And um, I killed in front of the belly room, um, packed house, and that's the tiny tiny space, you know. But it was one of those nights where it was oh, no, stand, standing room only. And the belly room, I think, is the best room when it flies, when it's packed in the energy. When it's there. packed and you're surfing on that wave, there's there's it's nothing amazing. like that. And it was a very over-rehearsed first set, as a lot of first sets are. Mm -hmm. uh, but I had my joke about Neen Num, my Star Wars joke about <laughs> Neen Num in there and all that kind of stuff. You had a Neen Num reference to work. Yeah, had uh, some stuff about virginity and all this stuff and everything. And I killed, man. Now, granted, it's a lot of support in the audience. But I killed. Peter Sprite comes up to me and goes, uh, that was the best first set I've ever seen wow. in stand-up comedy. I'm like, great, my friend Peter says I'm going to be success. I heard that wrong. You know, he was like, but don't worry, the first 100 don't count. And I went away. He goes, doesn't matter how good they are, how bad they are, they don't count. 
sure, Peter. Yeah, that's great. I'm going to do this other gig. And he goes, all right. And I went and did a, some comedy festival that was like a weird. I'd, I did this gig and kind of bombed in front of a room of other comics and actors. And it was a charity thing. My third or second or third, no, third or fourth gig, Peter goes, I'm going to take you over to uh, Open Mic in Westwood, Westwood Brew Co. Oh, uh, yeah. Van, Van Sanders' room. Go up the stairs. Go up the stairs. And you walk in, and it's a room full of enemies. Mm-hmm. Comics. Mm-hmm. Uh, Chris Hardwick was there. Some other people were there. And uh, Vance was nice. I loved Vance. He was so nice to me. And Peter was nice. I put my name and got, got called, and I did my little rehearsed five pages of stand-up yeah. my monologue i got a <laughs> and it was from vance just trying to be nice yeah hardwick stared me down everyone stared me down mm-hmm. and um i'm not a i'm not a good looking man i don't think but i'm not ugly and uh <laughs> i get off and a comic or two goes after me and goes well we learned uh, we learned one thing tonight that good looking people aren't funny <laughs> At least he called me good looking. Yeah, at least I got something going on too. <laughs> and Peter's like, turns to me and he goes, "You did spectacular. That's exactly what I wanted to have happen." And I try like to learn. Mick. Yeah, exactly. Love Peter. And um, um, at that point, I thought, okay, we're gonna do this. Um, then eventually, a little day job stuff. It was very hard for me to. I went to work at six in the morning and that stand up life, mm-hmm. and, and I was a little for a lot of fear. A lot of fear, man. I started comedy like stand up comedy at 25, 26. Um, if I'd started it now, it might have been a little better. I have a little more socially acceptable. Now I can go hang out with you guys at the comedy store. Back then, the com- I was terrified. Skippy Simons at the front door, you know, you performing tonight, you know, doing whippets and shit. It you seems know. like that would transfer to on stage now, too, because it seems like you may just know yourself a little bit better than you did back in the day, as everybody does w- yeah. when you go from 25 to 35. You just, you know, it's, yeah. not, it's not just a limitation thing, but it's how you're going to handle adversity when yeah. it comes at you from an audience form yeah. or just a social interaction form. Yeah. You can process that a lot better when you're in your 30s than you can in your 20s. Yep. So could you do it better then? Yeah, I think I could. And I quit at one point. In 2007, I stopped. Uh, I got a girlfriend, and a year into it, I was like, I don't need stand-up anymore. And I've been hosting a lot of Room 5, Franco's shows, and all that kind of stuff. Run-ins with Mr. And, Christian Harloff? Yeah, I met Mr. Christian Harloff. Uh, I had met you. You met you before, actually, at the comedy store. I knew you. I remembered you before I remembered uh, Fat Ellis uh, more than I remember <laughs> Harloff. Um, but uh, my, one of my mistakes was hosting too much because it made me sick of stand-up. Yeah, because uh, you're the first uh-huh. one on stage. First one on stage. you got to crack them, and when you host, Audience. especially a showcase show, you don't have enough time oh, in your set to enjoy no. the fruits of your labor. You'll do yep. five minutes, yep. and you'll make it fine for the next guy, because the next guy, when they come yeah. on stage, they can riff off you. Yeah. And, and then and then and then you get sick of doing you know this next guy funny clubs and colleges uh, he's a really funny guy um, Ted I don't even know this guy and he comes up and he he shits a bed because he's been in stand up for ten shows and mm-hmm. then you got to come up and be like hey give it up for Ted he was really funny right and the audience is like you're a liar you're a liar apologize you're a liar to the audience then you get the worst compliment in comedy which is hey he's a really good host. It's like oh, yeah. that what all I hear yeah. is you don't think I'm a good comic. Yep. I I was I was a host guy. Mm-hmm. I was a host guy. Hey Kenny, we got a show. Yeah, you want to host? Yeah. So I didn't I didn't hone my craft. So I got I got tired, you know, Harloff got to come up and kill. <laughs> and he killed. I very rarely saw that guy struggle on stage. Uh-huh. Uh, killed. He'd call me. Oh, I came up with this bit today while I was walking. Uh, walking my dog Taz. Uh, while well, Taz was taking a shit, I came up with this bit about subway sandwich. Uh, <laughs> uh, and he'd get up on stage and would kill. Yeah. I'd craft a bit for twelve months and get up there and crickets. Um, so 
he'd go perform, kill, go downstairs, flirt with the girls, take them up back, whatever 2006 Harloff did. And I was up on stage going, and your next performer is. So I got sick of stand-up. I got sick of it. So I left it for a bit in 2007. Came back in 2000, late 2008, 2009. Joe Ruggiarello was booking a room over at the Ice House. Mm-hmm. And we'd become friends. And he was like, hey, you know, got this room. And I was like, you know what? I want to come back. Let me do it. And I came back, and I came back strong. I came back very strong, and I was working with Santini on some stuff on how to kind of focus. Lou Santini, very yeah, funny comedy. Lou's like the Tony Gwynn of comedy. He'll watch video and have notes. Well, here's the set I did in 2003 <laughs> over at Yuck Yuck Shack, and uh, here's the jokes that are highlighted that work well uh-huh. and everything. So I did that. started to work. And then um, I got out of it again. Something just happened. I just wasn't clicking. And a friend of mine came came to visit me, and he hung out with me. He was covering the uh, electronics uh, convention, E3. A uh, great guy, Tony Porter, a friend of mine from high school. And uh, he'd come out and he, the family were talking. And um, he seen me perform over at the Bitter Redhead, which is over in Lincoln in Santa Monica. I remember that place. Which is next to a, 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 a Jack in the Box in a hotel where there was a murder. And um, <laughs> me and Beatrice and Dave Forsyth were running that room as a satellite show for Franco. And uh, You might have booked me on that room. I, I you think might I have pro- booked I probably booked you on, on the Bitter Redhead. So we went over there and. Um, Tony one day calls me out of the blue, and Tony has uh, he's a religious guy. He's a Jesus guy like me. He calls me out of the blue one day from Orlando, Florida, where he lives, and I answer the phone, my cell phone in my girlfriend's uh, house. Sorry, Lord. Um, and uh, he goes, hey, man, this is, this seems kind of weird to tell you. I don't know what to do. I'm just going to tell you. Um, I'm sitting here having a f- sandwich in Orlando, and it just has been really put upon my heart to tell you that stand-up's not the thing for you. <laughs> and he goes, I think you're going to find something else. I think there's something else for you. I don't know if that's weird, but I, so what uh, else is going on? Yeah, and at the time I was like, "Well, that's all I got," because those scripts I'm working on aren't working. But he was right in my head. I'm like, "Yeah, you're right." And it's not that stand up was bad. It's just I was like, I didn't. I looked at guys like you, or now I look at Simone, or, or mm-hmm. even Santini and Patrick Keene, and all these guys, these road warriors. And I'm like, "Yeah, uh, you and I, Joe, I love hotel living. I could probably do it more now." But back then, particularly, I was like, "I don't know if I want to do that." It's fantastic. But at the time, I didn't know if I wanted to do that. So it was kind of like, um, yeah, he's right. And didn't struggle to find out what that was. I think I found it. I think it's back into broadcasting, I hope, and content creating and that kind of thing. I'm doing some writing with Mackie. We're still writing partners. We've got a show going and all the kind of stuff that we're hoping gets picked up. But um, I think he was right in the sense that I've now found something that I love again, which is now I'm – look what I'm doing. I'm in my house with microphones recording a show except for – you are here now instead of me talking into a well, toilet paper. Well, listening to your affinity for hosting, I thought maybe I'd give you a break. I mean, obviously, yeah. hosting a podcast yeah. is a lot different than hosting a but stand-up showcase comedy show at Room 5. It is. But I figure oh, I'd give you trust me, the is. night off and come over here. I mean, it's, yeah. it's, it's interesting for me to see. Like what, what I said at the beginning of the show is the, the quadrants or the one quadrant that is Kenny's life and all these different facets of entertainment and different ways to build a career. And mm-hmm. now that you have some sort of perspective on all those things and you've been yeah. through all these trials and tribulations, you can look back with a different mind than you had when you were young ken yeah. and say maybe i can take this piece from that world yeah. and bring that into here and do that as long as it doesn't take yeah. too much away from the last quadrant which is the yeah. director of security at a mall <laughs> yeah which is fan because again yeah. and a lot yeah. of people listening you hear you hear yeah. that and it doesn't matter how fancy you trump it up you think paul blart yeah absolutely. to walk through the mall yeah. with ken Knapp to do the ride along the walk through along, the mall which i, I 
I want five cents for every time you sell out a show with that joke. You are the wide herb of that place. <laughs> you tip your cap, the damsels wave at you. Yeah. You get yeah. free Red Robin. You're, you're yeah. talking to the guy who's tailoring your it's, next suit. Oh yeah, mark up a prestige. You have yeah. a nice life going there, yeah. but it always seems like is it still the wrestling match between the day job and yeah. the you're the host of the Jedi Lions on the Schmozo Network. You're the yeah. pit boss. You do the news. That, that takes a lot of time out of your day to craft those jokes and yeah. to kill as hard in front of all those listeners that you do now yeah. is it still a tug of war or have you found a balance yet i i've found a balance now a little bit but it's it's always a tug of war that the day job loses um look it started as a fun little day we all need a day job we all have crappy jobs uh-huh. and um you learn I, I i was serious i was neat naive i was like oh cool you know uh, security seems kind of fun it's you know i always i as a kid i would i wanted to be a fireman or a police officer maybe my uncle's telling me take this job my uncle to his credit again i didn't listen um, was like just become a police officer. You can still do the other stuff. <laughs> just do 15 years on the force, do 20, and you know. And I know a lot of police officers who appeared in Traffic, the movie Traffic, who yeah, appeared in yeah. the movie Drive, who are got careers, who are actors, who are agents. And my old boss at the time was an actor as well and manager. Was a detective, retired detective. So should have done it because you don't. Again, you don't listen to the people who tell you these things. Mm-hmm. My friend Kevin Harris, uh, episode 30 of the Knapsack Files, uh, he, he one time we were out on the Chili's patio in my hometown. I come up to visit and he looks at me and he just goes, Ken, isn't it amazing? It turns out exactly like they warn you. <laughs> Divorced father too and you know, isn't that. So the day job, it's going. It's something I hate. It's if it, it, Because you learn pretty quickly that, oh, no one respects this job. There's some good reasons why they don't. I get it. Um, but no one gets, I'm not, I'm not, you know, I'm not working a security job, sitting at a guard shack, pressing a button, letting trucks in. No, you got all kinds of things going I, on. I've over been there. in knife fights. Yeah. I've, I've wrestled Crips. I've wrestled Asian boys, gang members. I've wrestled Pukwama Pyru Bloods. I've, I've, uh, saved the man after he was stabbed in the head with a screwdriver by a gang member. I've, I've been there for heart attacks. I've been there for a death. I've been with the SWAT team. I've been with the bomb robot from LAPD. Yeah. Uh, I've solved crimes. I've been a little mini detective. I run a city. And you handle all of this mm-hmm. with such a cool and collected outlook that belies <laughs> some of the younger Ken moments yeah, yeah. that I'm hearing about yeah. that says I was so nervous. Like you take yeah. the pit boss now, the guy that sure. just handled a gang war and yeah. wrestled a knife out of some guy's hand out front of the Orange of Julius, and you put that guy about to go yeah. on stage after Kristen Wiig and yeah. Melinda Hill in the Tooth Fairy sketch, and yeah. it's probably a very a different, different outcome. And I was working the same job back then, but it was, it was I hadn't gained personal confidence mm-hmm. either, personal the personal confidence to handle myself socially was the key but yeah over the course of the year then you get promoted and and unfortunately the movie up in up in the air is one of my favorite movies and the key scene for me wow. is when Clooney is in, uh, firing J.K. Simmons and actually Anna Kent Kendrick is and 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 J.K. Simmons is fighting it and then Clooney looks at him and is like hey wh- what was the first amount they paid you to give up on your dream and he $22,000 in 1978 or Coming in for the next an guest. Am I interviewing him or are you interviewing uh, him? Uh, we'll see. Hold on, hold on. Uh, I got to text him right now. I'm not going to edit this out, by the way, because I like that. <laughs> Please do. This um, is such a rare treat. Dude. Because yeah, you know, yeah. we go out, we hang out, we talk, whatever. I know a little bit about your background because we've known each other for a while. Yeah, but yeah. All this other stuff is just so mind blowing to so, hear. So 
to, to kind of jumping ahead, that was that was God telling me your life's okay. Uh, the buzz there. Um, no, so I gained gained a little more confidence though. You started getting and then I'm in control of uh, not control, but then I manage people. Then I manage ten people, fifteen people. Now I manage forty people. Twelve of the people I manage are active LAPD officers. One for LAPD Metro, one for Hollywood Vice, one for Major Narcotics. Uh, another one's a detective. I manage these people. I'm their boss. Yeah. Uh, I manage a million-dollar contract annually, um, despite, despite the field that I'm in that people can make fun of. And there's moments – believe me, trust me. There's moments that are kind of funny where I'm arguing with an old lady over a dog <laughs> or one of my employees is. But there's other moments where we find a package next to a generator and uh, the bomb squad comes up to me and goes, take me to it. And I manage a, a, a tiny – a police force of a tiny city. And I think when, when 9-11 happened, the first responders – be uh, first was uh, you know Battalion One or whatever coming over from from you watch that documentary they love so much the French Brothers that was the first LAF or New NYPD NYFD FDNY response sorry yeah, New York Fire Department the security personnel were the first responders uh-huh. so my industry gets made fun of sometimes justifiably sometimes I get angry at the people I, that work for me because I'm like you're not helping my stereotype that I fight every day <laughs> but I have over 40 people I've known over 16 years who are now on police forces I have people working for me right now who two months ago were in Afghanistan fighting Al-Qaeda yeah. uh, and we get disrespected because the people just see us as uh, stupid Paul Blart. Um, I people, people always ask oh do you deal with shop lifting no I don't I deal with organized retail crime I once took $13,000 worth of stuff out of a car <laughs> you know that someone had stolen so I get it but I'm not a point financially uh, you know I, I've never had to struggle I'm, I'm in debt and I'm who isn't but I never had to struggle as a waiter uh, I never had to be a freelance guy and that's sometimes you need maybe that lack of a safety net but I've, I've always had a good base I'm, I'm surviving. I've I've never been you know living in a garage. I've always had an apartment and a car, and all my bills paid because of this job. And it's a different angle. It gives you a different mindset. Everybody hears about the struggle. No, oh, I had to wait tables or I had to telemarket yeah, yeah. or do this to support the dream that I have that night. Yeah. You have a very different approach to it, where you do you run a company, you run a city. Yeah. I'm and a- when you come from that, and that lends itself to what is already a very honed comedic perspective. Yeah. It's a it's a very impressive filter to watch work, <laughs> and you can see it happen. And it's a very rare thing in our business to get that when you're reading the news every week so it's, yeah it's a different character uh, my friend megan finley calls it work ken voice <laughs> uh, and you probably see me if you walk around the mall people like you walk a little differently well because I'm, I'm working and you know this thing. Yeah. but but yeah, i've learned i also learned you know, in wrestling i failed in um we probably don't have time to talk about the wrestling but in 2001 i failed a little bit as a wrestling manager that dream i had as a kid I, yeah it was okay my first wrestling match i got kicked in the face my face got cut open and all it was like cool and everything but i kind of wasn't crowd as rough yeah i came back in 2010 when millennium pro wrestling started up and kind of succeed and when you were the pit boss uh well tex tunny you were t- tex tunny that's so great i was tex tunny the southern last sign on the great southern promoters and i had a good run i had fun <laughs> and i learned and i got to be in the ring with roddy piper but i got punched by roddy piper adam pierce the nwa world champion at the time gave me a concussion with a chair because i'm i'm legitimately messed up in a match and that was the payment um <laughs> knocked me my friend dan ferentz it, it was the worst chair shot to the head he's ever seen in wow. 30 years of pro wrestling uh had a concussion survived it though and so i actually and i got cane I got put through a table, and it's weird. I found myself in that violence a little bit. It's weird that the performance art that you participate in actually has left more bruises than the security yeah, job yes, that you've yes. managed. Never been hurt, knock on wood, in that job. But um, I mean, I'll, I'll throw this. I'll throw this at you to, to, to start to tidy things up mm-hmm, here. Mm-hmm. Is 
and it's the same question that you gave to me when I did the when I've sat in the hot seat is you have yeah. the, this multifaceted life where some of it's performance, some of it's you're paying your bills, yeah. you have things that you like and things yeah. that you really dislike about each one of those in a year or in five years or whenever Ken goes to his next high school reunion. Yeah. What is the story that's going to be told? What do you want that narrative to include? You know, uh, I want it. One thing I want to mean is I generally want to be not well liked, like I'm looking for approval, but I, I, I take pride in the fact that I, I'm constantly outside my bubbles and that a lot of different people from different walks of life can, can find, find, find a friend in me or something. You know, I, I'm generally well respected. Um, and it sounds weird to say that I don't give myself that kind of credit. Um, and now that, now that I'm the big boss, it's so funny to have 20 year old kids look at you like I'm an idiot. (laughs) And I'm like, let me tell you something, kid. You don't know who I am, nor the life I lead. Uh, you'd be envious of the friends and, and things I get to do. But You're going to try to give them life experience, and you're going to try yeah. to give them perspective. Oh, and I do. And, and I do. in 15 or 20 years, they're going to be in a podcast saying, I should have listened listen. to Ken Napsack. It turns out just the way Ken warns you. Um, <laughs> so I want to definitely keep that stuff in a mind above career. I Do I want to get married and kids? And that's a whole other two hours we can talk about. Um, oh, well, you can catch that episode on the yeah. Comedy Store Porch. Comedy Store Friday Porch. All that I want to have happen. But uh, career-wise, if you're just asking about career, I do want to get fully into broadcasting. I don't want to still have that job anymore. Okay. There's a part of my soul that dies every time I go in there, quite frankly. Um, and just, it's not because of the job. It's just I'm not, I don't feel I'm doing my full potential. Well, I think that we've seen a pattern in your life, and I think maybe that's one of the patterns that should continue is that when something's run its course, it might be time to say, okay, time to, yeah, time to take a leap. Out. Time to take a leap. And I'll Excuse me. Also, like with the the schmoes, and we've been doing this. I've been producing with you guys, quote unquote, producing, doing the news with you guys for three years now. Is um, I hit that three year mark? If you look back on my life, a lot of things: radio, screenwriting, stand up comedy. I hit that three four year mark, and I pull the plug and I walk. Yeah, um, it's just something I do. I kind of do it in relationships too, and uh, I don't know what it is, but um, I'm going to push through that barrier this time. We ain't going to stop. We need you, buddy. Yeah. We're relying on you. Yeah. And your check is in the mail, I swear. <laughs> hey, just, I just want that Olive Garden uh, pasta pass <laughs> to work in my favor one night. <laughs> well, you're such an interesting figure, and God knows you're, you're one of the most uh, complicated figures uh, as far as your mentality, what you do on your day-to-day basis, and also yeah. just your comedic vision I find really yeah. uh, inspiring. It's and dark. It's dark, but it's really funny, and I know that it comes from the same spot that we all initially wanted to make people laugh with, which is, I just want to hear the noise. Yeah. I just want to hear the noise, because yeah. it fills my soul up. So, whatever you in- intend to do in the future, yeah. I do. I would. I want you to include us in it, as opposed to yeah. Ichmo saying, oh no, we got to keep bringing Kenny back. Whatever you're doing, we want to be around you, buddy. Absolutely. I appreciate it, and you guys have been... Uh uh, giving me the voice, and I think I finally found my comedic voice through doing the news every week for three years now, give or take. And one day I'm going to return to the stand-up stage, not as a career, but as a, I'm just going to do it. It's an exciting prospect. Let's hope it's not the same amount of time that it was between Return of the Jedi and the prequels. <laughs> and let's let's hope it goes better than the prequels. Let's hope it goes... Uh, let's shoot for the forest yeah, moon of Endor, Ken. Uh, Misa thinking it'll be all right. <laughs> That is Ken Knapsack, and I am Mark Ellis. Ken, thank you so much for letting me take over the airwaves on the Knapsack Files, where you will learn about love, life, the universe, and all those other things that Douglas Adams probably told me and Ken about when we were 15, and we declined to take the advice. Yeah. That's all for this episode. We'll catch you next time on the Knapsack Files. Please rate and comment.